Welcome to Word Processing, a resource of Oak Ridge Bible Chapel. Listen in as we discuss issues of God, His Word, and His people. Well, hi everyone, and welcome to another installment of Word Processing. This is Josiah, and I'm one of the pastors at Oak Ridge Bible Chapel, and today I'm joined for a conversation with Lotsi Kadar. And Lotsi currently serves as resident evangelist and Bible teacher at the Word of Life Bible Institute in Hungary. That's about an hour east of Budapest, right? Yes, yes. Something like that. Good. Uh, now, some of you, at least uh, those who attend Oak Ridge, may actually remember Lotzi because about a year ago, this month actually, in July, uh, he stopped by for a weekend on his way back to Hungary from the United States. And Lotzi, I so appreciated your ministry then, and I appreciate you giving us some time now. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Well, why don't, we start, why don't we start with uh, you just... Uh, telling us about yourself, your family, your ministry, and, and how God led you to Word of Life and where you're stationed now. Um, hello and good morning, good day, good afternoon, whatever it is. Thank you for this opportunity. My name is Lotzi Kadar, and I've been married to my wife, Sandra, for 23 years. We have three children. The oldest is Fanny. She's 15. The middle one is Luta. She is 13. And our youngest one is Lotzi Jr. He just turned 12. So we've been serving the Word of Life for 25 years. And this story has a great beginning. The story goes back to 1990. 1990 was the year when communism fell. And that was the year Word of Life got the green light from the government to start Christian camping, which was a major deal. Not only the green light, but we also received a beautiful former youth camp, a campus, to do these uh, camps. First we leased it, then later we were able to purchase it. In 1990, I had been a Christian for two years, and many of my friends from Budapest came down in 1990 to the Word of Life camp to help. And in the fall, when we reunited, all I heard was this, this is a great camp. Hundreds of kids trusted Christ. They preached the gospel. They have so much fun. You should come. So believe it or not, all through the year, I was dreaming and thinking about, boy, I should go to Word of Life. I want to go there. And that's what I did. Actually, the summer of 1991, the second camping summer, I came down. I spent two weeks here. And that was just simply, simply amazing. So next year, 1992, I came back for seven weeks. And 1993, I came back for 10 weeks for the whole season. And it was the spring of 94 that then the director of Word of Life asked me to join staff. And at first, I didn't know what to say. I was about to graduate college to become a teacher. But in my heart, there was the desire to be here because I just love this place. So I prayed. And uh, at the same time, I was reading scripture. And in the book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 8, an inexperienced, unskilled, yet redeemed Isaiah tells God, here I am, send me. As if saying, you save me, you can guide me. I say yes. And I think that verse was the one that just really answered my question that I'm saved, but I'm not experienced. I'm not a missionary type. But if God is calling me, I say yes. So in 94 in the spring, I said yes. And after graduation, which was 95, early June, I joined staff exactly on the day of June 9th of 1995. So it was 25 years ago. So that's my story. I joined Word of Life 
and I served in various capacities. I was a fundraiser for a good number of years, camp program director, camp director, and in the past 13 years, I'm, I'm the main Bible teacher of our Bible Institute, and I'm a staff evangelist, so I'm doing quite a bit of traveling. So in a nutshell, that's my story. That's great. Thank you. The Lord is good, guiding you all the yeah. way. You know, there are so many things, even just from that story that we could talk about lots and things I want to talk about. Uh, but for now, for our, the time that we have, I want to focus on one thing specifically. And, yeah. and one thing I think that you uniquely can speak to for us that are in our church family, in our context, and that is give us some insight into Christianity overseas. You know, sometimes we can get locked into seeing the faith in our bubble and we should, we're serving here. God has contextualized us, put us here for a reason. Yeah. But sometimes it's, it's helpful to be reminded, we have brothers and sisters to whom we're united in Christ, yes. uh, separated by an ocean. And so it'll be good to hear from you and, <laughs> and all that kind of stuff, especially you've spent a lot of time in Canada and the United States as well. And yeah. so maybe let's start here. What would you say are some common misconceptions that Westerners like me have about Christianity in Europe? Some, not you for sure, certainly not you just say, but some uh, Christians overseas really think that Christianity in Europe is inferior, okay? Mm. So some people who come over, they come with the mentality, now we're going to fix it all, okay? Usually these people don't last long. And if the people come with the attitude of how can we serve you, how can we help you, that's a much better approach. But let me just mention one that is very commonly held. And this is it, probably not in this generation, but in earlier generations. The European Union is the revived Roman Empire, also known as the Empire of the Antichrist, okay? Hmm. <laughs> I hear it all the time, and I just really laugh. I just really laugh because uh, this fits the pattern of people trying to figure out eschatology from their own cultural backgrounds. And so answering your questions, one misconception is that European Christianity is inferior. I don't think it's inferior, it is different, okay? Hmm. The second one is that it's all liberal. Well, some is and some is not, and you find all shades of it, but you just cannot put a label on it that it's, it's uh, inferior. Another misconception I would say is this, that uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, that we need to fix it. I think a better approach would be we need to help it. We need to help it because we need help. But you know, Christianity has been around 2,000 years here, and it still exists, still exists, and there is a lot of lively Bible-believing, gospel-proclaiming, evangelical churches on this continent, and that's what Word of Life is doing, preaching the gospel. And so if someone comes with the attitude of, we want to help, people appreciate that. People appreciate that. I've heard it said often in different iterations of this same uh, sentiment that, if the United States wants to know where they're going to be in five years, they look at Canada. If Canada wants wants to know where they look at, where they're going to be in five years, they look to the uh, to the UK and to Europe. Um, is have you seen that to be true at all, or five years, ten years, whatever the 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 case may be? Do you see that same I heard, progression? I I heard that, and uh, the answer is yes and no. Okay. Yes and no. Europe, by and large, is much less individualistic than, say, North America. And, you know, North American Christianity tends to be very, very individualistic. And it's, it's almost like me and God. That's the kind of thinking. 
Europe, at least the part where I live, is, is much more community focused. So the community matters. The, the good of the community is just as important as the rights of the individual. You don't put one over the other one, okay? And I think that's one of the strengths of uh, European Christianity. Now, as far as practicing our faith, at least here in Hungary, we have complete and total freedom to practice our faith. And with some limitations, I think that would be true in most of Western Europe as well. So you can be a Protestant, you can be a Bible-believing Christians, you can proclaim the gospel. And uh, yes, it's immoral. Yes, it's, the society is godless. But look, at the time of the book of Acts, they had the same kind of society. Immoral, pluralistic, anti-God, yet the gospel was spreading like the wildfire. So my point is this. I see hope. And I see young people coming to Christ still on this continent. And I firmly believe that the gospel has power. And nothing can stop the gospel's power. Yeah. That's great. What would you say are some modern hurdles or struggles or pressures that the European church is experiencing that might, as far as you can tell, be unique to your context that you didn't see so much in your time yeah, in the West? I, I can tell you. One that is, is non-existent in Canada and America, United States, is that the church and the state is not as separate as, as there. So at least in our country, the, the state prefers some churches, but that's pretty much the case in most European countries. Now, it's good on the one hand because churches receive tax money. It's bad on the other hand because the state tells the church what to do and what to believe. So it's a complex situation. So this is something that eh, probably not the best. The second I'd like to mention, and this is really a concern of mine, is, uh, is the lack of, of solid evangelical theological education. And that is one of the sources of the problems of the European church, that most seminaries are, are not evangelical, not Bible-believing. Rather liberal or tolerant, everything goes, but the authority of the Bible is, is not held up as well as in many good American seminaries, like our Dallas Theological Seminary, just to mention one. And you know, if pastors and teachers are being trained at such institutions, then they will not communicate the authority of the Bible to those they teach. So this would be a second, this would be a second problem. And the other, I think the other problems we face are similar to the problems of, of America, the Americas, like this post postmodern uh, feeling, relativism, consumerism, pluralism, tolerance, you know, there is no difference in that. Mm -hmm. But the two factors that are different is this state-sponsored, the state-preferred churches, and you find them all over, and the lack of solid theological education. This is something that I pray for. Yeah, no kidding. What would you say are some unique challenges to the state-church connection? What what day-to-day huh. uh, -day <laughs> issues does that create for you uh, on the ground there? It basically, if I really want to be simple as this, uh, many of these state-sponsored churches quite straightly express how the members should vote. Okay. So the, the state sponsors the church and the church, church says vote for these people that sponsor it. Okay. 
And uh, the state-sponsored church remains silent when the state does something that may not be very biblical. Mm. Like uh, Europe was facing this great migrant crisis. And I'm not saying letting them in as the biblical way, but hating them is certainly not something Christians should do. And at least the art church in Hungary, it just remained silent. It didn't see anything. Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's the, that's the danger of it. And once again, Hungary is one of those countries when there is like four or five denominations that have a higher status than other denominations. So if you go to those denominations, you get the tax, tax discounts, you get all the goodies. If you go to some other churches like Bible churches, independent churches, in the eyes of the state, you don't get those benefits. And uh, that may not be the best idea. And you find the same phenomenon pretty much all over Europe. Mm. Pretty much all over Europe. And it's, ver- it's very strong, actually, in the, in the Orthodox countries like Serbia, Romania, Ukraine, Russia, when the or- Greece. When the Orthodox Church has great privilege, it's almost like a major part of the state, major part of the decisions. Or in Italy, the Catholic Church, you know, that's, that's problematic. That's problematic. Would you say that there are some lingering effects of communism in the church where you're at? Uh, some in the bigger denominations. In some countries, like in Hungary, that chapter has never been closed. So some pastors who signed up for the Communist Party to report on the church are still there and actually in leadership positions. Mm. Now that's just for Hungary, like in, in Germany, they took care of that. In the Czech Republic, I think they took care of it. They took care of it, but it's still there. What is more there, and that has to do with the state church, is this, that many people think that it is the state's responsibility to, to finance our denomination. So they just pay a little nominal gift and they think that's all right. Mm. It's almost like paying for your movie ticket and you know, enjoy the show. And, and so that's, that's one thing I see. Well, let's shift gears. Let's look at the, uh, the yeah. positive stuff. <laughs> Enough with the <laughs> negative stuff. What are some ways you see God really at work in exciting ways on that side of the Atlantic? I find it very exciting that, particularly among younger generation of believers, and I say evangelical believers, there is a great willingness and great movement to work in unity. We belong to many, many smaller denominations, but particularly younger Christians have no problem working together and reaching out to the country. And word of life, our philosophy is to be in that movement, to work along people who are evangelicals and perhaps not, not share all our theological distinctions, but, you know, we want to reach Hungary and all these countries with the gospel and we are willing to work along. So striving for unity, this is something that really, really makes me happy. Really, really makes me happy. Also, there's a good number of churches started so there is new movements and new churches started and young people are just as interested, not in really relig- religiosity, but, but in, in the truth and in, in uh, meeting Christ. Like our ministry, just to mention this place I'm sitting at, I'm sitting on campus, by the way, we are having, like even this summer, we are going to have over 700 campers and 200 volunteers. But each summer in the past 30 years, we had 800, 900 campers, or 500 volunteers sometimes and uh, those people go back and they are active in churches and they are active in their faith and there's many other movements like that 
So young people, there is still interest for the gospel. And that's something very positive. And churches are willing to, to work together. Mm-hmm. And perhaps they are much more willing to set aside denominational boundaries than what I saw in America. Mm-hmm. So this is something that really gives me joy because, you know, Christ prayed for unity, not for diversity. And it really makes me happy. This next question may dovetail in with that last one, but what would you say yeah. are some things that the church in North America should learn from the church in Europe? If one word, study church history. Why? <laughs> Why would I do that? Convince me. Uh, something, something I notice in America is that somebody invents hot water every two minutes or something like that. Sorry for being that frank, but almost a, every week a new book comes out that says, this is how you have to lead church. This is how you have to do ministry. This is finally the one method that gives you how to grow your church and so on and on and on and on. And, uh, you know, reading church history and learning church history, at least for me, shows that probably something that I think is new has been around before. That can really teach us good lessons. Another thing that I appreciate that probably Europeans are more sensitive and uh, more appreciative of tradition and there is many good traditions that you don't have to throw out just for a new method, you know? And the third one I mentioned earlier is this unity. That uh, it just breaks my heart when I see when Christians fight. Yeah, Christians can disagree, but we are still members of the same family. We should love each other and as much as possible work alongside. And so this is something I see here, and this is something we work hard for. We work with Presbyterian churches, Baptist churches, Brethren churches, we worked with non-denominational churches. We had charismatic students, and they know who we are. We are not charismatic. We worked with dispensational churches. We are dispensational. We have worked with covenant churches, and so on. Because they all see that 98% of the population doesn't even believe, believe in Christ. And they are willing to set aside those secondary debates for the greater good. So these three things, you know, unity, and uh, church history, and tradition, that's perhaps three things that can help. That's great. Can I ask you about one I thought you would say, and I think you mentioned earlier, um, but maybe I'm blowing it out of proportion in my mind, is that idea of uh, individualism versus community. Yeah, yeah. So so explain to me, because you mentioned that earlier, and that piqued my interest. What does it look like to be a more, um, because when we read the New Testament, they were clearly more uh, communal than we are in North America. So explain that to me a little bit, flesh that out. The North American mindset, uh, you know, goes back to the, what is it, 18th century, Declaration of Independence. And uh, the Declaration of Independence has a lot to do with modern American Protestant theology, theology. You know, it's me, my rights. Just to give you a very simple idea. Here in Hungary, no, it's nobody's problem that you have to put on a mask, okay? It's just common sense. Of course you put on a mask, okay? I, I'm hearing that on the other side of the pond, there's great debates. Nobody can tell me that I should put on a, a mask, okay? And, and, and the same in the church. You know, if it's only my preference and uh, my interest and, and my belief system, then if it, it's not compatible, I leave immediately. I'm not going to make a compromise because it's me. Mm-hmm. And here it's more like, I love this community. I'm glad I can be part of this community with people who are very different than I am, think differently than I am. So it's, it's, it's more of the, the community does matter. 
the community does matter. Mm-hmm. It's, it's us and God, not just me and God, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I see it in different European countries that wherever I go, I, I see this, that we are a community and we as a community relate to God. And I think that's a major difference. That's a major yeah. difference. Again, as I read the New Testament, the metaphor of the body, it is a yeah. communal uh, sacrificing for the yeah. sake of the other type of mentality um, that probably makes it, it's, a, it's, an, it's an added hurdle perhaps in North America to get over that individualistic mm-hmm. mindset to function yeah. like a New Testament church that maybe yeah. it is in Europe. Just to mention one, somebody asked me, one of my friends, describe me Americans. I said, Americans are wonderful, nice, kind people. And if you go to an American and ask the American, how are you doing? Even even the person is dying on the roadside, he'll tell you, I'm doing fine, thank you, okay? If you ask a Hungarian how you are doing, he'll start or she'll start talking to you about his or her family problems, health, financial problems, prayer requests, whatever it is, whatever it is. You know, that shows you what a difference it is for me. It took probably two years to learn it that when I'm being asked, how are you doing? The answer should be, I'm fine. Because in the first two years of my life in America, I always started explaining how I I am actually. My wife is being operated. I'm having a bad day. I'm having a great day, okay? And because when you ask something like that, you know, we mean it. So we care for the community. That's that's how I can say it. So how are you doing, Lassie? I'm doing very happy, excited actually. (laughs) because of this summer, because we can have summer camp. Many Word of Life locations cannot have summer camps. The large Screw Lake campus is shut down. Wow. Argentina, which is one of our largest locations, is shut down. Ukraine, shut down. So we are one of those few Word of Life locations when we can have camp. So I'm, I'm very excited. I'm, I'm very happy for that, really, honestly. This is just a, it's a great expectation. I just can't wait to see the children and just open the Word of God and just teach them. Yeah. So when you think about uh, North America, and we're really lumping America and Canada in together, which uh, some will take offense to and others won't care. But uh, uh, when you think of the difference between North America and Europe, it sounds like there's a whole lot similar. Like there's as much as there are differences, there really is a lot that we have in common, isn't there? It's modern. It's postmodern. It's very technological. It's it's affluent, you know. Hungary is in the European Union, in the inner circle. So we have all these things. Yeah. Yeah. So aside from learning from uh, our brothers and sisters overseas and mm-hmm. the, the unique battles that perhaps they're going through for the sake of uh, the gospel, uh, there is a real similarity in our heartbeat. We want the gospel to be spread. We want people to yes. come to know Christ and we want the yes. church to grow. We want to participate in body life, all of those things. So there's yeah. so much that we, we share and, and we're part of something so big and so amazing that the Lord is knitting together. Yeah, There's a yeah. whole lot we can, we can celebrate. I'm wondering as we close, uh, how can we in North America and we even at Oak Ridge and in Canada be praying for the church in Europe in general and our brothers and sisters overseas in particular? How can we be doing that? Let me just say something very specific. This is a prayer request for Word of Life, Hungary, the ministry we are doing. Please pray that more Hungarians and Central Europeans would sign up to our Bible school, which is one of the few evangelical, biblical, conservative training institutions. Okay? In the summer, we are working very hard promoting this, and we really hope that many will sign up. So this would be one prayer request. Please pray for more Hungarian and Central European, European students 
A second prayer request is the summer camping program. We are just about to start. Once again, 700 campers, two, 300 volunteers. Many of the campers come from completely secular homes. They just come for the English instruction. Many of the volunteers are Christians who are not really walking with the Lord during the year. And this is a time of spiritual nourishment and development. So we are doing a lot of discipling. So pray for us that we as a staff would be legitimate, honest, you know, walk the talk. That's, that's something you can pray for. And as far as Oak Ridge's involvement, uh, when you come, you will see that on this campus, uh, a guest group can help a lot. We have building projects. We can take, like, say, a group of people come. We can take you to public schools because we can go to public schools and do English classes in public schools, meet the students, share the faith, and you can come for the summer. So this is something, and I really like your question because you say, how can we help? This is what Europeans appreciate. This is how you can help, you know, this is how you can help. That's great. Well, thanks again, Lotsi, for giving us a few minutes of your time. I know you're busy oh, yeah. there. You got a bunch of teaching going on this week and lots to prepare for. So I appreciate you covering out yeah. some time for us. And yeah, I want to say thank you to the uh, listener as well for the same, for giving us some time. And, and I hope, pray, and trust that these conversations are a blessing to you, that they're thought-provoking, faith-stirring, zeal-producing, whatever else the Lord will use them to be in your life. Uh, we've got a number of great interviews lined up for the months ahead, uh, covering a wide range of important and, and interesting topics with a wide range of people to address them. And so awesome. uh, we say, please stay tuned for that. And until next week, grace and peace to you and yours. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you are encouraged and learned something new. Visit oakridgebiblechapel.org to listen to sermons and for more information.